The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Rotor World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short and I'm joined here as always by Drew Silva. This week is a special edition where we'll talk about some of the biggest fantasy surprises and letdowns from the 2019 season. We've already looked ahead at some early 2020 starting pitcher rankings and hitter rankings, so be sure to go back in our archives to check that out. But Drew, let's jump right into it here. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay, so we're going to start with surprises. We're going to start with the good news. <laughs> uh, so we each picked out three surprises each, but of course, you know, this isn't a definitive list. Obviously, there's tons more, uh, especially in this year where, you know, home runs are so plentiful. But um, I just picked out three that, that really jumped to mind for me. So uh, the first one is Cattell Marte and, uh, with the Diamondbacks. And on Yahoo, he had an average draft position of 248.2. And so this is after the likes of Daniel Palka and Cedric Mullins. <laughs> I don't mean to pick on those guys, but I think Daniel Palka has one hit this year in like 47 at-bats or something like that. I saw that the other day. Uh, and Cedric Mullins spent the majority of the season in the minors after getting off to a terrible start. So, I mean, that's just showing how little fantasy owners thought of Marte in the spring. Uh, if you know, if you listen to our 2020 top hitters episode last week, you'll know that I included Cattell Marte inside my top 20, uh, for next year. So maybe I'll be be repeating some of the same, same stuff here, but to me, Marte is the biggest surprise hitter this year. I've actually liked Marte as a late round pick the past couple of years, but I still considered him to be pretty fringy as, as a mixed league player. Uh, coming into 2019, he had 22 homers through 402 major league games. So uh, never had an OPS higher than 768 in a season. Never stole more than 11 bases in a season. So across the board, the appeal was limited. However, he's put everything together this year. 32 homers, 92 RBIs, 97 runs scored, even 10 steals, while hitting 329 with a 389 on base percentage. Leads the National League with 181 hits. Uh, Like I said, hitting 329, so right in the middle of the batting crown mix. uh, I believe just one point behind Anthony Rendon for the NL lead. Um, I still think we're talking Cody Bellinger for that NL MVP uh, with Christian Yelich out. Um, But guys like Rendon and Marte deserve to be in that mix too. Um, As for Marte's breakout, the ingredients behind it are pretty easy to see. He's always been a guy who makes a lot of contact, but 
What's changed this year is that he's lofting the ball more often and hitting it consistently harder compared to previous seasons. Um, And I understand, you know, this has only been one year and one year with a juiced baseball. So uh, maybe there will be some skepticism going into drafts uh, next year. But uh, just that across the board growth um, and still double digit steal potential. You know, I see him falling off the board next year in maybe the second or third round. But uh, just a huge leap forward for him this year. Yeah, and he ran a lot in the minors. Like he, he did, had 29 yeah. steals one year. So, like, it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, it, it's not like he's not going to be like a 30-steal guy, but it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if he hits 20 steals at some point in his career Yeah, um, before he, he reaches age 30. Mm-hmm. All right, I, Josh Bell is my first surprise. Um, it's been a tale of, of two halves of the season, really, for Bell. I'll get into that in a minute. But if you look at the overall numbers, 936 OPS, 37 home runs, 116 RBIs through 143 games. Uh, We're recording this on Friday. That's far greater than anyone was predicting this spring. He went 225th overall in the average Yahoo League. He was the 33rd first base eligible player off the board. Uh, Jake Bowers went ahead of Bell. Jose Martinez Miguel Cabrera, Ian Desmond. Um, he might have more home runs combined than, than all of those <laughs> players I just list, listed yeah. off. Um, it's pretty close anyway, if he doesn't have more. Um, he had that really promising rookie season in 2017, put up 26 home runs and 90 RBIs alongside at eight, 800 OPS, uh, finished third in the NL Rookie of the Year voting behind Cody Bellinger and Paul DeYoung, and then really tanked as a, a sophomore, 12 home runs, 62 RBIs, OPS of 768. Um, so it's certainly understandable why, why he fell in drafts this spring. Um, if you were smart enough or probably lucky enough to count on a rebound from him this year, you're you're generally a very satisfied customer. Um, he's been the fifth most valuable fantasy first baseman behind Cody Bellinger, Freddie Freeman, Carlos Santana, and Pete Alonso. Um, but yeah, back to the the tale of two halves thing. The overall stat line is heavily boosted by what he did before the all-star break um before participating in the home run run derby uh, it's, it's always fun and convenient to, <laughs> to blame the home run derby um on a poor second half but yeah batted 302 with a 1024 ops in the first half then 233 with a 780 ops so far in the second half uh 27 homers 84 rbis in the first half 10 homers 32 rbis in the second half as the pirates have completely fell, fallen apart. Um, hard contact rate is down over 10%. So this isn't just bad luck. Um, he's really struggled. He had a 26 game homerless streak between July 6th and August 11th. Um, and as we record here on Friday, he's been out for a week with a left groin strain and, and might not play much over what remains of the pirates regular season schedule. Uh, so with the, all that out there on the table, he's, an interesting guy to project for 2020. Um, do you trust the first half, the monstrous first half? Uh, do you call the second half natural re- regression? Is it kind of like a combination of those two things? Was there some kind of injury that wasn't made public? We might find out about that in the off season. Did he simply wear down? Uh, that's possible. Um, I think if you're ranking the first base eligible players for next year, Uh, You definitely have Cody Bellinger and Freddie Freeman at the top. Pete Alonso, probably third. Um, Anthony Rizzo, fourth, maybe. Then it gets kind of tricky. Like, Yuli Gurriel has had a really good year um, after starting slow. Jose Abreu, 
Reese Hoskins, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Olson without the broken hamate bone in March, yeah, he I could like be your, he could be your, your number five. Yeah. Um, but I th- I think that Bell probably belongs somewhere in that weird six to to ten range. Yeah. Um, I don't really have an answer right now. We'll we'll get into rankings and such in the spring, but. Yeah, I mean, just to tie a bow on it, he was surprisingly great on the whole this year, especially where he was going in drafts. Well, as you noted, his batting average sunk to two thirty three during the second half, which is kind of weird because he actually struck out less often during the second half than he did in the first. But uh, you look at the batting average on balls in play in the first half, it was three fifteen, in the second half, two forty one. Um, he was hitting the ball uh, not nearly as hard during the second half, but it was still pretty good. It was above league average consistently, so. Um, you know, maybe his true production is something in between those, you know, the first half and the second half. But either way, yeah. I think he's arrived as a, a top 10 uh, fantasy first baseman. So at least there's that. Um, yeah. My number two here is Jorge Soler uh, with the Royals. Uh, had an ADP average draft position in Yahoo Leagues of 243.8 uh, after the likes of Greg Allen and Matt Kemp. I don't think we heard anything from Matt Kemp this year, but... Uh, just putting it in perspective here, Soler, you know, he's been around for a really long time, had a really impressive debut down the stretch with the Cubs in 2014, but it was a rough road after that. Things didn't work out as hoped in Chicago. He's eventually flipped to the Royals. Uh, Soler appeared in just 35 games with the Royals in 2017, got off to a decent start in 2018 before suffering a fractured left toe that limited him to 61 games. However, Soler's managed to stay healthy all year this year, and we finally seen that long-awaited breakout. Leads the AL with 45 homers, has a 901 OPS, 109 RBIs, and 86 runs scored. Uh, Solaire has definitely lofted the ball more often this season. He had a fly ball rate of 34% last year. This year, it's up to 41.4%. And with as hard as he hits the ball, that's a very good thing. Solaire is in the top 4% in the league in average exit velocity top 3% in hard hit percentage, and top 2% in barrel percentage. So huge leaps in all three of those metrics compared to last year. And like I said, the way that he lost the ball, you know, you can see where this power is coming from. And sure, the juice baseball has helped him, uh, but staying healthy, getting in a rhythm, you know, really playing a full season for the first time, uh, it's only natural to think that's making a difference here too. And uh, you can't question the raw power. So to me, he's the real deal. Yeah, it's, it just made me think. So in the summer of 2016, the Cubs traded Glaber Torres and a couple of other prospects to the Yankees for Aroldis Chapman. And then that offseason, they traded uh, Solaire to the Royals for Wade, Wade Davis. Davis. Yeah, yeah. so two big-time prospects for two relievers. Glaber Torres um, still has a chance to hit 40 homers. Uh, yeah, no one no one talks about him, man. Yeah, and I think half those, homer, like half those homers were against the Orioles, so maybe that's why. <laughs> for being like a young stud on the Yankees, I feel like there's not a lot of chatter about how great he is. Yeah, it's surprising given that it's New York, but I, I think it's right. just one of those years where there's just so much like amazing young talent in the game, you sort of just like take it for granted. Um, yeah. But Solaire definitely exploding in, in Kansas City right now. All right. My my next one, my next surprise is Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, and I was going to talk up Domingo Herman here, um, but he's on administrative leave under the MLB and MLBPA domestic violence policy. So uh we're gonna skip that. I don't we don't really have enough details to know what what is what exactly is going on there, but it's it's not good. 
Um, so Eduardo Rodriguez, um, a personal anecdote. I dropped him in one shallower league way back in mid-April. Um, he got lit up in his first two starts of the season, and I thought he was kind of a risky play anyway coming into the year because he just he, he hasn't thrown many innings, um, injury prone, and the ERA was never really great. Um, the strikeouts were there. You saw the potential. Um, yeah, it looks like a bad move now, five months later. Um, he struck out 10 batters while allowing just one un- unearned run over six innings on Thursday afternoon against the Giants. Now has a 2.21 ERA over his last 93 and, a, and two-third innings dating back to the beginning of July. Um, he has a 0.70 ERA in four starts here in September. Um, and for the year, a 3.53 ERA and 199 strikeouts and 191 innings to go along with 18 wins uh, on a Red Sox team that is not headed back to the postseason. His average draft position in Yahoo Leagues this spring was 154.4. Uh, that's in the range of Rick Porcello and Nick Pavetta. We like to pick on Nick Pavetta on this podcast, <laughs> it seems. But um, granted, that's also in the range of Shane Bieber, who we both ranked as a top 10 fantasy starter for 2020 um, a couple weeks ago. That's that's dart throwing territory in drafts when it comes to starting pitchers. And um, if you hit Rodriguez, you, you hit a good one. Um, I, I think he's always had the talent. Like I said, the strikeout rate has been pretty good throughout his career. ERA in either the high threes or, or the mid fours. Uh, but this will be the first season that he approaches 200 innings. Um, he had a really good first half last year. I owned him in a lot of leagues, but then suffered a, a severe ankle sprain in mid-July and didn't return until September. Uh, finally stayed healthy this year, and, and the results are you know, maybe what we should have expected them to be. If, if he was going to hit 200 innings, this was probably going to be the kind of production that he'd have, at least from a strikeout rate sense. Maybe the ERA has been a surprise, especially in the second half. Um, lots of walks. He's the current American League leader in the walks, but he's done well in, in terms of run prevention and the strikeouts. Um, he threw a lot more sliders early on in his career and has shifted more toward a, a fastball cutter changeup approach, uh, which is sort of against the grain of, of what some teams seem to be preaching these days. Um, but if it's not a good slider, if it's not a good slider, his changeup usage is at a career high, uh, and it's been a very effective pitch for him. One of the best changeups change ups in the league, according to Fangraph's pitch values. Um, he's been the 14th most valuable fantasy starter this year, uh, as we record here on, on Friday afternoon, after going as the 40th overall fantasy starter in drafts this spring. Uh, it's the 18 wins that really help that cause, but... Right. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can count on that number of wins next year. Wins are, you know, we know it's an outdated stat that, but we, we use it in fantasy. Um, I think the Red Sox can be a good team in 2020. They're kind of blowing things up management, upper management wise, but, um, I think they're, they're going to keep that roster pretty much intact. Uh, my, my guess is Eduardo Rodriguez will be rated properly going into next season, like just inside the top 30 among pitchers, maybe. Probably, yeah. Uh, he's yeah. He's only 26 years old, uh, doesn't turn 27 until next April. So there is a good chance that he hasn't reached his ceiling yet. Um, with improved command, I think he could be a legit top 20 starter in terms of ERA and strikeouts. That's probably where his upside, his, his ceiling is. Uh, that would make the whip a lot better, too. The whip is over 1.30. Um, and then the wins total, you know, will fall where it may. So it, he still has time to reach 200 strikeouts for the first time this year, potentially uh, across 200 innings for the first time and never thrown more than 137 in the third innings before. So uh, 
I think the biggest thing was just staying healthy. Of course, had that uh, nagging knee issues for, I think, a couple of seasons. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the ankle injury last year. So uh, good to see him staying healthy and sort of being the bright spot in that Red Sox rotation, which has had all sorts of issues this year. David Price not pitching again this season. Chris Sale, of course, too. So uh, at least there's some hope in a rotation that really needs some youthful upside. Uh, he could be Cost control is what yeah. they need. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my next surprise is Lucas Giolito. He was drafted in just 2% of Yahoo leagues this spring. And it's understandable why he had a 6-1-3 ERA over 32 starts last season, the highest among all qualified starters. But Giolito is currently the number 13 ranked starting pitcher in Yahoo leagues. Of course, Giolito suffered a mild right lat strain over the weekend, has been shut down for the remainder of the season, so he won't have a chance to climb any further. Still, he came out of nowhere with a brilliant season, 3-4-1 ERA over 29 starts, but that doesn't tell the whole tale. 228 strikeouts, just 57 walks over 176 and two-thirds innings. He doubled his strikeout percentage compared to last year, which is amazing, moving from 16.1% to 32.3%. Meanwhile, he brought his walk rate down from 11.6% to 8.1%. In addition to making some mechanical changes, Giolito saw an uptick in average fastball velocity, combined with a change in his pitch mix, throwing fewer curveballs and adding more change-ups. A really big jump compared to last season, and the approaches work for him as he's increased his swinging strike percentage from 8.3% to 15% this year. Uh, and this was going into play Thursday. Only five pitchers had a higher swinging strike percentage uh, this season. DeGrom, Luis Castillo, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole. So uh, that's a pretty awesome group to be a part of. Uh, some have also talked about a change in Giolito's mindset as a key ingredient to his success. He's talked about it. Some teammates have talked about it. James McCann's talked about it. Uh, obviously, we can't quantify that, but the numbers back up what he did this year. And the big question is whether he can keep it going. Uh, I don't think Giolito will be in my top 10 or maybe not even my top 20 starters next year. I don't think he was when we talked about it last week, but um, he's certainly putting himself on the map and you know, you think about the White Sox moving forward, uh, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, guys like that, uh, Rinaldo Lopez, if he can show some consistency. Um, you know, there's some good times coming for the White Sox. Uh, Yohan Moncada's having a huge September. Um, uh, Jordan, or, I'm sorry, I'm blank. Uh, oh, Eloy, Eloy, Jimenez, yeah, yeah. Eloy Jimenez has, has turned things on down the stretch here as well. So uh, there's some really nice positives for the White Sox moving forward. Yeah, I, I forget what I had Giolito, I think uh I think I had him in my top ten. I was trying to look up where I had him. Yeah, Maybe. I I kept I said in my head I was saying you are down Alvarez, and I think that's because Alvarez has been the hitter that we were hoping Jimenez would be this season <laughs> for some reason. Nice. Sticking yeah. in my head. But yeah. Well done. Um my my uh third surprise is Mitch Garver of the twins there were a few catchers who surprised this year in fantasy christian vasquez omar narvaez james mccann you mentioned him earlier carson kelly uh will smith we'll see where smith goes in drafts next spring of the dodgers um it's still the, the shallowest position in fantasy um actually closer might be competing for that label <laughs> yeah wait yeah the way teams are using their bullpens these days and just how volatile that position is. We'll talk about. Yeah, so we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, some previous, previously highly ranked closers among our disappointments. Um, Mitch Garver, though, uh, went from essentially undrafted 
uh, maybe drafted in some two catcher leagues to being the fifth most valuable player at that position uh, as we record here on Friday. And that's despite the fact that he's only played in 88 games this season for the twins, mm-hmm. um, missed some time with an ankle injury in May. And, and the twins like to use Jason Castro, who's had a decent year and also a little Williams S um, but yeah, when Garver plays, he mashes uh, 31 home runs and 297 at bats no. so far. He's second among all major league hitters and at bats per home run. Hmm. Um, Jordan Alvarez is, is right behind him on that list. Nelson Cruz, Jorge Soler, who we talked about, Mike Trout. Those are among the names behind Garver on that leaderboard. Um, he has a 1017 OPS, 279 batting average, which is not bad among the catcher ranks. Uh, 67 RBIs and 67 runs scored in in his 88 games played. Um, he kind of came on the radar for people, for me at least, in 2017. Had a really good year at AAA Rochester. Uh, 291 average, 928 OPS, 17 home runs in 88 games. Uh, got his first call to the majors that year and didn't do a whole lot with it. Didn't play very often. Um, had a bad defensive rating. But the defense has actually greatly improved this year, I think, way beyond anyone would have expected. And obviously the offense has been tremendous too when he's when he's in the lineup. Um, Jason Castro is set to become a free agent this winter. Uh, maybe we see an increased workload behind the plate for Astadio in 2020, uh, but he's kind of been a disappointment. And I think Garver will be the primary uh, close to everyday starting catcher for the Twins. Um, and I think right now I would rank him fifth or sixth among catchers for next year. Uh, Gary Sanchez, JT Real Muto, Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, depending on where he lands in free agency. That would be your your top five, or that's four. That would be your top four. Um, probably a consensus top four leading into drafts next spring. And then, I don't know, either Garver or, or Will Smith there in that fifth and sixth spot. I agree. Um, Garver, yeah, Garver has hit leadoff uh, quite a bit recently, which is also really intriguing. Um, for his fantasy projection. Rocco Baldelli, the the manager of the Twins, um, is not afraid to try out unconventional strategies. And um, it's worked because it looks like they're about to lock up the AL Central maybe by the end of this weekend. Christian Vasquez, another surprise behind the plate. I mean, 21 homers? <laughs> Where the yeah. heck did this come from? Uh, so he's, he's someone who's going to be really interesting going into drafts next year too, just with you know, the juice baseball certainly helped, but he's he's made some changes, too. So that's been interesting. We could go on and on as far as surprises. Um, I think Pete Alonso has been a huge surprise. Someone who really wasn't drafted in a, in a lot of standard mixed leagues and leading the major leagues in homers right now. Uh, DJ the Mayhew, you know, originally yeah. was going to have like a part time, you know, utility role with the Yankees. And he's been one of the best fantasy performers this season. So we could really go on and on. But we're going to move on to fantasy disappointments. And as a Mets fan, I have to start with Edwin Diaz. <laughs> Let's just get this out of the way. Of course, Diaz had a ridiculous 2018 57 saves, 1.96 ERA, 124 strikeouts, and just 17 walks in 73 and a third innings. The Mariners opted to sell high on him as part of their rebuild. Uh, as the Mets took on part of Robinson Cano's contract and traded top prospect outfielder Jared Kalenic to get him. The deal hurt for a lot of Mets fans as Klenick is emerging as one of the game's top overall prospects, but the assumption was still that Diaz would at least be a stabilizing force in the late innings, but he's been anything but that. Diaz has struggled to the tune of a 5.83 ERA in 61 appearances over 54 innings. The home run ball has just 
killed him this year. He's allowed 14 homers after giving up just 5 and 73 in a third innings last year. While Diaz's strikeout percentage isn't on par with last year, it's still very good. That's the weird part of all this. It's still fifth highest among relievers with at least 50 innings pitched. The problem is that he hasn't consistently commanded his slider. It's been an issue all season long. There's definitely been more hard contact against him than we've seen in the past, but he also has a batting average on balls in play of 391. But he's been searching for a while. He actually uh, adopted uh, Jacob deGrom's slider grip, um, which is kind of crazy, but um, he's hoping that maybe that'll work for him moving forward. I think some of it's probably in his head at this point, um, but probably also part physical. There's been chatter about a bone spur in his elbow for a really long time. I think there's also some bad luck involved, so there's a huge combination of factors here, but his raw stuff is just too good to suggest he won't get on back get back on track in the long term. Um, so he's a name I'll follow closely in drafts next spring, see how he looks during spring training. Whether he stays with the Mets or winds up elsewhere, I think some teams could try to pounce uh, and do a buy low type of trade this offseason. So he's definitely a really interesting name, capable of quickly bouncing back up to the top of the of the fantasy closer ranks. I'll just jump right into Blake Trinan then. Yeah. Um, Trinan and Diaz were the top two relievers off the board in drafts this spring. Um, I do the positional tiers for our our Roto World draft guide, and I'm pretty sure I gave those two their own tier. Mm -hmm. Um, So what a a great product. (laughs) But but, but seriously, everybody had those guys at at the top. And, you know, closer is just a crazy position these days. I I think it's, um, you know, it's the way that that teams are just using them differently, but it's also – I think it's in Moneyball, the book, where uh, where Bill James via Michael Lewis, the author, notes that relievers are, for the most part, they're failed starters. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that has changed somewhat. Uh, teams draft relievers and then build them up as relievers, and it's the same story on the international market. Um, but the point is these are volatile commodities, and the sample sizes are small year over year in terms of being able to value their numbers properly. Um, I feel like I'm on the stand here trying to make excuses or something. <laughs> well, I mean, but... there's definitely some hitters have talked about it this year. It's like, who's going to string together three hits against Edwin Diaz or someone who throws 100 miles an hour? Like, it's not going to happen. So, like, all these guys are just swinging for home runs. And if you think about it, it just makes a ton yeah. of sense, you know. And, and we've seen we've seen how that's worked out this year for someone like Diaz. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and Trinan, you know, went, went from a – 0.78 ERA and 100 strikeouts and in 80 innings last year to a 4.91 ERA with 59 strikeouts and in 58 innings this year. Uh, saves total last year, 38. This year, 16. Liam Hendricks has been the ninth inning guy in Oakland uh, since late June. Uh, Trinan, meanwhile, has been shut down for the rest of the season due to a stress reaction in his back. That happened earlier this week. Uh, m- maybe the back thing was a lingering issue for him all year. Uh, he did also have a mild shoulder strain at one point, missed a couple of weeks uh, with that. There was an elbow issue back in May. Uh, so a lot of problems health-wise, diminished velocity. Slider wasn't nearly as effective as it was last year. His cutter, which is a relatively new pitch for him, I think he started throwing it last year, um, wasn't great. Um, and now I think it's very possible that the A's are going to non-tender him, uh, making him a free agent. He made $6.4 million in arbitration this year is due for a third and final round of sal- salary arbitration this winter. Um, so we're probably talking about $8 million. I mean, players get raises through arbitration, even if they don't have good years. 
Um, so for a big payroll team, that's probably doable in the hope that he can bounce back. But we know how the A's operate. Um, I think he's going to be pitching for a different team in 2020. I mean, I don't think it's going to be as a closer, at least not initially. If he bounces back and he becomes their best saves option, maybe he gets back into fantasy relevance. But I, I probably wouldn't even recommend drafting him next next year, which is weird to say considering how dominant he was in 2018. I mean, we'll see where he lands. Maybe he lands in Arizona or some, I don't know, someplace where where he's going to have a clear path. To, Kansas to City, something like that. Sure, yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, you you could see him like getting non tendered, accepting like a, a one year bounce back type contract, and then hitting free agency the next year and and doing okay for himself. Um, yeah, the top five closers this year in, in, in standard fantasy scoring: Josh Hader, Kirby Yates, Will Smith, Roberto Ozuna, and Aroldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. Those guys were all high in our rankings, um, everybody's rankings. So if you just missed the minefields of Trinan and Diaz, you kind of did okay. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. So moving over to the position player side. Uh, Andrew Benintendi is one that stands out for me. He had an average draft position of 31.2 in Yahoo Leagues this spring. That means basically like a fringy top 12 outfielder uh, in most mixed leagues. But here he is as the number 48 ranked fantasy outfielder. So that puts him on the likes of Abisail Garcia, Cole Calhoun, and Jason Hayward. In the year of the home run ball, Benintendi just hasn't been there. He's hit 13 homers and 602 plate appearances while batting just 268. This is after he hit 282 through his first 333 major league games. Benintendi has seen his strikeout rate jump from 16% to 23.1% this year, as he's been much more aggressive at the plate. According to Fangraphs, he increased his swing percentage from 50 from 45.9% to 51.3%. And while Benintendi has made an effort to increase his launch angle, a number of those fly balls have turned in has turned into infield fly balls, which you don't want to see. So you combine the strikeouts with the infield fly balls, you can understand why the batting average has dipped. Meanwhile, he's actually below league average in terms of average exit velocity and hard hit percentage. So, you know, lofting the ball in the air and not really hitting with much authority, it just hasn't resulted in, in the power you'd like to see. Because of the lineup and the situation there in Boston, I think Benintendi's an obvious choice for rebound status, but I think at this point, expectations need to be lowered for him uh, going into 2020. Yeah, he is a, a he's had a weird career so far. Like, gets better at one thing one year, gets worse at another thing another year. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, when when he was a, I guess it was his first full season was what a twenty twenty season. Yeah, uh, at and age twenty two, he was com- when he was coming up through the minors that one season that that he was uh, called up. Like, I feel like every night you were seeing a box score from him in the minor leagues. Like, he was a very hype prospect coming up to kind of be like a complete five-tool player, a, you know, five-category type of player in, in fantasy leagues. I still think he has that in him. Um, yeah, I we, agree. We haven't seen that breakthrough yet. And I think um, he's been drafted sort of with people projecting what he can be, and he just hasn't yep. done it yet. And meanwhile, we've seen so many young players come up and do the things that we were expecting Ben Benintendi to do. So uh, just his status has been lowered a little bit, but I still think you know, there's room to be positive about him moving forward. Yeah. Um, I'll go with Jose Ramirez uh, as a letdown. I, I ranked Ramirez as a, as a top 20 hitter for 2020 on last week's podcast. You did not, DJ. So, no. so maybe you should handle this one, actually. But, <laughs> but, he, was, he was being my top 25. I'll say that. But okay. I, I, I docked him a little, little too much for that first half. 
Yeah, obviously he did not meet expectations on the whole this season. Uh, went third overall in the average draft this spring, coming off 39 home runs and 34 stolen bases in 2018. Uh, really good RBIs, runs, everything. Uh, Five-category stud. And then just looked like a different player in the first half of 2019. I think mid-June was probably the low point. Uh, he was batting 198 with a 586 OPS, four home runs and 16 stolen bases through 66 games played on June 12th. Uh, I think that's about the time that our, our colleague Ryan Boyer noted that Jose Ramirez is Billy Hamilton now, uh, mm-hmm. giving you speed but hurting your hurting your team badly in every other fantasy scoring category. Um, he did turn it on in the second half, though. Uh, between July 4th and August 24th, August 24th is when he suffered that fractured hamate bone in his right wrist, hasn't played since. Uh, but in that time period, so uh, close to two months, he batted 325 with a 1077 OPS, 15 home runs and 44 RBIs in 44 games. Still finishes the year as a 2020 player, 20 home runs, 24 stolen bases. Uh, when you draft a guy third overall, you're expecting more like 30-30 production. Uh, definitely not a, a 254 batting average and a 788 OPS, which is where those numbers sit currently uh, for the season for Ramirez. He did take batting practice on Thursday afternoon um, as he recovers from that fractured bone in his wrist. Uh, m- maybe he could be available to the Indians if they get into the playoffs. Uh, they're right in that AL wildcard mix. I don't know what to say about Ramirez's first half. We've talked about it a ton if, if you listen to this podcast regularly, and I don't think we've really given any good answers um, it bears out in the analytics. It bears out in everything that he was just not a good player in the first half. Um, I would say there's reason to be encouraged, though, by by what he did over that, you know, seven week stretch between July, early July, and late August. Um, if he didn't get hurt, I, I think the overall numbers would look a whole lot better. Maybe he gets to 25 homers, 30 steals, gets the OPS above 800. Uh, maybe the batting average gets near like 280. Um, I like that he's going to fall in drafts next spring. I said this last week. Maybe you can get him in the fourth round, which is crazy. Um, it's it's not the biggest gamble to see if he can finally bounce back, you know, in the third, fourth round. True. Um, he, he just turned 27 years old a couple days ago. So 2020 will technically be his age 27 season, right in his prime physically. Um, I hope to get some discounted shares of him next spring. Well, I'm willing to bet that Ramirez probably got dropped in a number of shallow leagues with his brutal start. Uh, you mentioned in June how, just how terrible of a season he was having. So you think maybe in a shallow league he got dropped or at least traded. But uh, if you bought low or were patient, at least you got rewarded with a really great finish prior to the Hammond bone injury. So uh, yeah. there's that at least. So uh, my final disappointment, and again, we could have kept going and going with these disappointments, but... Um, I was just mentioning Andrew Benintendi as a top 12 fantasy outfielder, at least as far as he was drafted this spring. But Reese Hoskins was probably around the same area, and he's also disappointed. It feels weird saying that because he leads the majors with 111 walks. He's also popped 29 homers, but he's hitting just 236, and that power isn't necessarily enough to salvage his value in a year where everyone's hitting home runs. Going into play Friday, 57 hitters have reached at least 29 home runs, so that same benchmark as Hoskins. So putting it into perspective, it really doesn't stand out in this current fantasy environment. Hoskins has never really hit for average, and he doesn't steal bases either. So 
we're talking about someone who can make an impact in three categories at a time where more well-rounded hitters were available. You know, you'll get homers, RBIs, and runs scored, but lacking in the other categories. I thought maybe we'd see some more progress this year with a move back to his natural position at first base. We know the outfield was a failed experiment, and you know maybe that affected him at the plate, or at least that's what I thought going into the year. But instead, he's stagnated, and he's going to lose outfield eligibility going into next year. So chances are he's going to be overvalued. I think you can bank on the power potential as much as he hits the ball in the air. That power is going to be there, the home ballpark. Uh, I think the lineup's good there in Philadelphia. So He'll continue to have solid fantasy value, but I think chances are, you know, the name recognition and the production that he provided as a rookie, really historic power production, I think it will just make him overvalued, assuming that, you know, the juiced baseball continues. Yeah, somebody posted uh, Hoskins' home run spray chart on Twitter the other day, on Tuesday night, um, and of his 81 career home home runs, only four of them have been the opposite way to right field. Hmm. Um, it was actually after he hit an opposite field home run off Dallas Keuchel, which was his first opposite field home run in nearly a full calendar year. Hmm. Uh, the last one was on September 18th, 2018. He hit this one on September 17th, 2019. You can get away with that, like plenty of power hitters or pull hitters, but I don't know. The elite guys tend to spray it around a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he he has power. He has pull hitter power. Uh, but like you said, it's kind of empty power. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. My last disappointment is Matt Carpenter. Um, <laughs> end it with a Cardinal. He, he was a top 60 player in most drafts this spring, uh, which is funny to look back on now, but he had third base, first base and second base position eligibility, which really attractive. It's, it's rare for a player to have that, uh, coming off a career year in many ways in 2018, he had an 897 OPS, 36 home runs, that was a career high, 81 RBIs, 111 runs scored in 156 games last season. Appeared to be the locked-in leadoff man for a Cardinals offense that was supposed to be much much improved uh, with the addition of Paul Goldschmidt and, and a healthy Marcelo Zuna and Paul DeYoung entering his third season. Um, I think most people would have predicted regression in those power numbers for Carpenter uh, coming off 36 home runs in 2018. I don't think anyone expected him to repeat that. Uh, but he was in a good spot, seemingly, to rack up the team-driven counting stat, the runs scored, the RBIs. Uh, you, you thought he'd be a pretty well-rounded fantasy player that you can stick at, at three different positions. Um, but it looked right bad. It, it looked bad right out of the gate this year uh, for Carpenter, and it still looks bad here in late September. Though he did hit a huge go-ahead home run in the top of the tenth inning Thursday night at Wrigley Field. Uh, the Cardinals went on to win that game, and they're up. In, in the NL Central, three games as of Friday afternoon. That that will change maybe by the time you listen to this podcast. Uh, but as it stands, Carpenter's batting 20, 227 with a 723 OPS, 13 home runs, 42 RBIs, 56 runs scored, and 120 games played. Uh, that's not the line of like a fantasy relevant player generally. Yeah. Um, I think there might be some physical issues at play here. He's had back problems for a couple of years now and he looks stiff to me at the plate and in the field as somebody who watches the Cardinals on a daily basis Uh, he did go on the injured list in mid-July with a foot contusion but that was more about uh, getting him on a minor league rehab assignment to see if playing against lesser competition might ignite his bat Uh, it didn't work 
Um, whenever the Cardinals season ends, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we hear more about Carpenter's back being a problem. Um, I don't know that it can be surgically repaired either. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not a doctor. He, he's 33 years old. will be 34 in November. The Cardinals had a club option on him for next season, uh, but for some reason decided to give him a contract extension this spring um, that guarantees that $18.5 million salary in 2020. It's it hacked on another 18. million guaranteed in 2021 and there's a vesting option now for 2022 I think he probably will be a little better next season Um, that's on the assumption that he can get a little healthier and I don't know maybe has some better luck manage the back issues in some fashion but he's not somebody I would recommend targeting until very late in drafts Um, he'll lose his eligibility at second base hasn't played there at all this year and it looks like he'll, he'll lose first base too because uh, Paul Goldschmidt has been been the everyday guy there for for the Cardinals, so he's going to be a third baseman uh, with the, coming off that kind of season. I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't even take him in a draft, to be honest. I'm surprised you didn't rescind Carpenter as a disappointment after his home run last uh, Thursday <laughs> night against the Cubs. It, it was uh, it was a massively important home run. Yeah, and I'll massively important I, to Mets fans too. So I, I yeah. was I got up out of my seat when I saw that home run. So <laughs> well, better, let's end on the, let's let's end on a positive. Yeah, hopefully they can take care of business this weekend. Sorry, Cubs fans. Uh, so <laughs> that will do it for this week. Remember, next week we're going to do an early round 2020 fantasy baseball mock. Uh, just a fun exercise to close out the year. So. Uh, Please join us then for the final regular season edition of this podcast. By the way, if you like what you're hearing from the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Music, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And also rate and review uh, on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short, Drew's at Drew Silve, and we'll see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.